Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. As we get into uh, Romans 9, we come to the uh, uh, what's the fourth main theme, uh, I guess, in, in the book of Romans, or fourth main topic. Uh, Paul's talked about sin, and he's talked about salvation, and he's talked about uh, sanctification, God setting us apart to himself. And, uh, and then we come to this uh, fourth topic that's going to go from chapters 9 through chapters 11, where he is writing about the sovereignty of God. Uh, a lot of people... I think have um, problems or issues or maybe a little bit of resistance to the thought of the sovereignty of God. And I think probably the reason of that is this. As human beings, we kind of don't like the idea of anybody being in charge but us, you know. We kind of like to, to push off uh, the idea of anybody else being in control. I, I mean, that's just kind of maybe how we're wired as human beings. Sometimes in your family, you may wrestle, you know, with someone else being in charge of control in your family sometimes. In your job, uh, you may wrestle with, with someone else being in control and you not being in control. Uh, the truth of the matter is this. If we would be honest and logically think about that issue, we are not in control of our own destinies. Have you figured that out yet? I, I mean, if so, you know, on the front end of getting the flu, would you say, nope, I'm not going to get it, you know? On the front end of tragedy that some of you have faced in your lives or sickness that some of you have faced in, in your lives, if you were in total control of your destiny, then those things would not have afflicted you. The truth of the matter is this, we're not in total control of our destinies. We are created beings. The one that is in total control is a sovereign God. And while we might push against that because we don't like the idea, as I said, in our human nature of someone else being in charge, the truth of the matter is still this, like it or not, God is in charge. Like it or not, God is sovereign. Like it or not, God is the king of all creation. Always has been and always will be. No matter what we think about it, God is a sovereign God. So that's what Paul's going to be writing about in these chapters. He kind of breaks it into, into three parts. Uh, in Romans chapter 9, he's talking about how God's sovereignty is displayed through the fact that He chose Israel, that He elected Israel. And maybe a sub-theme there is that righteousness can be received. You know, Israel didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But thank God, God can give us righteousness. In chapter 10, God's sovereignty, even though God is sovereign, in His sovereignty, He allowed for Israel's rejection because Israel did not fully receive Christ as the Messiah. Now, God's not through with Israel yet, and you need to recognize that, and you'll see more of that uh, as you get into chapter 11, because there as he talks about God's sovereignty. He's going to talk about how God's sovereignty is fulfilled in Israel's future redemption. God is not through with Israel yet, not according to the Bible. So uh, can, can I give you a suggestion? If God is not through with Israel yet, we better pay attention to that. Just maybe we need to be on Israel's side, you know? Not trying to be political. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. 
that God sovereignly chose them as uh, as His own people. So righteousness one day will uh, will be revealed. Uh, as we think about Romans 9, that's where we're going today. Uh, in, in Romans 9, Paul more or less is describing uh, what God's sovereignty is like and just giving us a description of it. And it kind of divides into two logical parts, uh, God's sovereignty being described in, in Romans 9, 1 through 13. And, and then in the second part of Romans 9, he's going to defend it. More or less, he's telling us what God's sovereignty is. And then because God knew people were going to push against it, he's going to defend it and show why he's sovereign. And, and I, you know, just to jump ahead just for a moment to give you a picture of that, how he defends it is basically this. We're the clay, he's the potter. What right do we have to talk back to him? I've never, I've been to see potters do their work. Have you? And take that mold of clay. I've never seen the clay talk to the potter and say, I want to be a cup or I want to be a pitcher. And neither do we have a right to challenge the sovereignty of God. So that's more or less what, what Paul's wanting to communicate. And he's going to let us see God's sovereignty to start with, uh, in, in Romans 9, but it's showing us how it's revealed because God in his sovereignty chose a people, the, uh, the nation of Israel. He chose them to himself. And the truth of the matter is God still chooses people. He still chooses us. There's a doctrine called election that flips some people out also. Because sometimes people will misunderstand election and they'll start thinking, well, that, all right, God uh, chose some people to be saved and he chose some people to be lost and they don't have any chance or any hope. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think God is an all-knowing God, a sovereign God, uh, knows who will be saved and who will not be saved. I don't think God predestined anybody to spend eternity in hell. Because that would make God to be very unfair, you know, to a certain degree. You understand that? But here's how you need to view the doctrine of election. You need to filter it through God's sovereignty. If God is sovereign, whatever election means, God's still God. You realize that? If He's sovereign, if He's in total control, we need to filter things. Not just a doctrine of election, but man, anything. You need to filter it through the reality that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God's in charge. Whatever it is. So as we, uh, as we talk about him describing God's sovereignty for us, I want you to notice kind of three main things, uh, this morning. Uh, the first one is, the first one is this. Um, God's sovereignty, uh, by, by the way, I, back up one. I, I jumped over a thought that I want them to see. Can you back up a slide? I apologize, guys, but I saw them leave it. We need to understand that God's a sovereign God and salvation is offered by Him dependent upon His own mercy and grace is not dependent upon our desires or our efforts. Does that make sense? Because He's sovereign. He's the one that offers salvation. We can't earn it. We've already talked about that, but that's another picture of the sovereignty of God. First thing I want you to see about God's sovereignty uh, this morning as Paul uh, describes it for us is, is simply this. I want you to see what, I'm, what I've called the burden of uh, the burden of, of election, more or less, today. Uh, and in parentheses, you can see I put uh, the passion for the lost because that's really, I think, what we get out of what Paul uh, is saying in these verses. Look what he he writes in verse one through three. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Uh, I'm not lying. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad Paul's not lying to you? You know, uh, a lot of people will. The Bible will not. He said, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I would wish, catch what Paul says here, for I would wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, 
according to the flesh. A couple ways you see the sovereignty of God. It's kind of implied there that I want to point out to you before we really get into what Paul's saying. God's sovereignty is implied by this. There's a chosen people, a nation of Israel. God sovereignly chose them. He also sovereignly, he also sovereignly chose Paul, who by the way used to be called Saul, who by the way used to persecute Christians and arrest them and take them even to be executed. And yet God reached down and sovereignly chose him and changed his life and changed him into the Apostle Paul, God's sovereign choice. I mean, think about that. If you're the one making the choices, would you think, yep, Paul's my guy. Paul's my guy to write most of the New Testament. Paul's my guy to do this. Paul's my guy to be going around Asia Minor playing all these churches. But after all, he's not done anything but murder a few Christians. I mean, would you choose that? But God in his sovereignty looked down and he chose him. By the way, you may be feeling bad about yourself. If you know Christ as your Savior, God sovereignly chose you. And most of you, I doubt, have done the things that Paul did, you know, beforehand. Isn't that wonderful that God chooses us in his sovereignty? But what I want you to really see is, is this. This, this apostle Paul, this man who was chosen by God, had his heart so impacted, so changed, so moved upon by, by the sovereignty of God. That this Paul tells us this. I'm willing, if it were possible, that I would be cut off from the presence of God for all eternity if the rest of Israel could be saved. Wow. Think about what he's saying. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm willing that, that I could be totally cut off in a curse from Christ like I, I don't know him at all. He could never have a chance of knowing him. You can kind of get a picture of Paul's heart by, by seeing something that he also said in Philippians. Paul was willing to stay here and work with saved people instead of go to heaven, even though he said in Philippians, he, he said, it's, it's better for me if I were to depart and go and be with the Lord. He said, it's far better. And, you know, that's true, amen? No matter what we think of our lot in life here, no matter how great you might think it is here, if you're a child of God, it's far better to be with Jesus one day. Amen? So, so he's saying that it's far better for me to go and be with the Lord. He's more or less saying, I wish I could go now, but I'm willing to stay out of heaven right now because I need to stay here and help you believers to mature. That's kind of what he was saying. But the flip side of it is this, in the text we're looking at today, Paul is saying this, I'm willing to go to hell for all eternity if my brothers and sisters who are part of the nation of Israel could be saved. I'm tempted just to make that the message today. I'm not. I was tempted this week, but God's kind of led me to see that there are other things that definitely need to be said. But I, I will be honest with you, I think most of us could be confronted with this truth this morning and realize that you and I have a lackluster burden for the lost. And we need to have more of a burden for the lost. Could you say that you have a burden to where you're willing to be cut off for all eternity? What, what are you willing to pay? Would you be willing to be cut off from Christ for all eternity and spend eternity in hell if your family, if all of your family could be saved? Would you be willing to be cut off for Christ if everyone in this community, everyone in this county, all your friends, if they could be saved, could you say with Paul, I'm willing to die and go to hell for all eternity if my doing so would just let all of Israel be saved? 
Would you be willing to say, I'm willing to be separated from Christ for all eternity in order for our state to come to Christ or our nation to come to Christ or our world to come to Christ? Paul's saying, I would do it if the rest of Israel would be saved. I'm willing to be cut off from Christ for all eternity. That thought ought to set us back a little bit. That ought to make us reflect a little bit this morning what kind of commitment we have. What are we willing to pay? What kind of calling are we willing to answer? I mean, next week, I mean, just, just, just something simple that's right before us. And, and, and I didn't lay all this out. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys before God. I'm not Paul. I'm not lying to you right now. I did not plan to be here today when this package would be here. Well, I had not planned that at all, but that's just kind of the way it is. And we've got the Apostle Paul saying, I'm willing to be cut off for all eternity if Israel would be saved. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what are we willing just to, to give? You know, we've got this Christmas offering coming up where we're trying to raise $10,000 over and above our tithes and offering. And it's not about the money, guys. It's not about filling us up with money. It's about us impacting lives for Jesus. What would you be willing to do for our youth space to be finished upstairs and, and for, for Ken or whoever's working with, with our youth upstairs to have a, a good environment to impact young people better than just sitting on a bunch of couches, you know, and things like that. A place to where he can engage them and, and volunteers working with him can engage them in, in lives of young people. Not just the young people we have here now. It's worth it just for the young people we have now, to be honest with you. But we have multitudes of children that are coming up. And if we want to impact them for all eternity, what are we willing to give? Paul said he's willing to be separated from Christ for all eternity in order for some to come to Christ. We're, we're wanting to take some of those, those funds and, and, and use those funds to try and help people in their need, people who are hungry, people who, who have bills that need to be paid, and they're laid off and things like that. I had a lady this morning call before the service wondering if we help people with, with, their, with their rent. And I said, yes, we do, but... Our benevolence is spent for this year in the hole for this year until we redo our budget for the coming year. And that's why we want to add extra funds to this offering into that account that we're calling Day 3 Care so we can try and minister to people. We're going to give some of that to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Why? Because it helps to fund missionaries across this world because we need to be willing to give so people can hear the message of the gospel across the world and have their lives changed. What are we willing to give? The Apostle Paul said, I'm willing to be cut off for Christ for all eternity. If all of Israel could come, then of me. Wow, huh? That's what Paul says. That's the burden that he had. Did you notice the transition that happened in his heart? From Romans chapter 8, he's talking about crying out, Abba, Father. He's talking about being adopted into God's family. He, he's, he's rejoicing because we can't be separated from the love of Christ. There's not anything that can separate us from the love of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, he was talking about how we as believers are glorified already as far as God is concerned. He called us. He justified us. He's glorified us. Paul is rejoicing in, in Romans chapter 8. And we ought to rejoice because of those things. But then Paul turns from the rejoicing of all that he knew he had in Christ. And he 
turns and he thinks about people who don't have that in Christ. And all of a sudden, instead of being rejoicing continually, now he's continually sorrowful in anguish. And he says, I would be willing to go to hell for all of Israel to be saved. You see, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have all the stuff that Paul just talked about. You know that you can call God your Father. You know there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ and Christ Jesus. You understand that as far as God is concerned, you're already glorified and He's made you just like you've never sinned. And we ought to be thrilled with those things, but at the same time, we ought to turn and see other people that don't know Christ. And that ought to burden us like we see Paul burden here. Amen? Second main thing I want you to see this morning is this. Not just the burden of election, but the blessings of, of election. <clears throat> um, Israel, because they were chosen by God, had a lot of privileges. And to be honest with you, just being God's chosen people, that's a pretty big privilege, isn't it? That's a big blessing. But along with that, there are other blessings that's, that's given. Look at what he writes here in, in these verses. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Look at these blessings that he details out. He gives a very detailed list of how blessed Israel was because they were, they were God's chosen people. God in his sovereignty chose them. God told Abraham when he was getting ready to start putting together this nation called Israel. Here's what he told Abraham in Genesis. Next, next slide, please. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God promised to the father of Israel. And then we have this list of blessings that Paul Put in the verses that we just read a moment ago. He said that they had the adoption. In other words, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, God chose this people called Israel to be His. They, they had the glory. And God sent the, the glory cloud to, to lead them out of Egypt. And they had the, the glory as God was given the, the law on the, the, on Mount Sinai. They, they had the glory of, of being able to serve God and, and, and worship God in the temple and in the tabernacle. They were given the covenants. God made promises or covenants that He always, always keeps no matter what we do. God is a covenant-keeping God. And He made covenants with Abraham and Moses and Isaac and so forth. God gave them the law. No other people upon the face of the earth were given God's law in such a way. God comes down to Moses on top of Mount Sinai and the people at the foot of the mountain, as they hear and see all the glory taking place, they tremble at the foot of the mountain as God gives His law. They were given the, the service, which literally means the worship of God. They're given the opportunity, the chance to, to worship God, to serve in the priesthood and things like that in the tabernacle, in the temple. They were given promises, and God has kept many, 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 many Old Testament promises to the Jews, and there's still other promises that God still will yet keep. They had the patriarchs, the fathers that I mentioned a moment ago, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, you know, Jacob, so forth, da 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 That was part of their heritage. You know what the biggest blessing was? God chose 
the nation of Israel to send His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in the flesh, into this world. That's the greatest blessing. And that's how all the blessings of the world are really blessed through Israel. It's through Christ because He comes and He fulfills all of the promises of God. By the way, I want you to notice something He said about Jesus. Under divine inspiration, will you read it with me, what He says? You ready? One, two, three. Is the Christ who is God over all. Bless forever. Amen. I've run into people before that will say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher and everything like that, but the Bible really doesn't say that He's God. Really? I mean, there are other places that, that it said clearly also, but right here under divine inspiration, the Apostle Paul talks about Christ, talks about Jesus, and he said, He is God over all, and He's blessed forever. I mean, so if anyone ever, ever, ever says Jesus isn't really God, the Bible doesn't say that. Write this down, mark it in your Bible, whatever. Here it is. Yes, it does. And you see, because Christ came into this world, not only does Israel have those same those blessings that we that we talked about, we as Christians today, we have those same blessings. We as believers have the blessings that we just talked about. Look, look on the screen as I walk through them uh, real quickly. Next, next slide. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Adoption. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that we have the adoption in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, we are told that we are glorified in Christ. In Romans chapter 3, we're told that we also have a covenant, but it's not the same type of covenants that, that, that God had made with them. Those were all precursors to this main covenant. We've got a new covenant that is of faith in Christ's blood, not in the faith of animals being sacrificed. We also have these blessings as believers. Next slide. We've got the law of faith. They were given the law. We also have a law, but look what our law says. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of what? What does it say? Faith. We as believers have a law, but it is the law of faith that God has given us for us to believe in Jesus and we're justified, made just like we've never sinned, apart from works of the law. We're also given this as believers as a blessing. Service and worship. He said, I appeal to you in Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You and I as believers are to serve as worshipers of God. And it's not just by filing into a building on Sunday morning and standing there and singing praises and maybe having a good time. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and worship to Him wherever we are. We also have this blessing. The promises that's completely filled by God in Christ. And you and I, even though we're not Jewish, as far as I know, no one here is Jewish. If you are, I'm not slamming you. Thank God for you. The Messiah came through your bloodline. Amen? Through your nation. But that I know of, we're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I don't know of anyone here that is Jewish. But guess what? Abraham is still our father. 
Not by blood, but by faith. Know then that it is those of faith who are really the sons of Abraham. Follow that way. It'll come back a little bit later in the message. And here's the truth of that. All of that is true. All those blessings are true because we have Jesus. Because we have the Messiah. All of those same blessings that Israel had, they are true for us because we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, by faith, if you in fact have received Him as your Savior. God sovereignly chose the nation of Israel to send His Son into the world so the world would be blessed. Guess what? I think God has sovereignly still chosen people. If you're a believer, He's chosen you because He still wants you to represent Jesus in this world and take Jesus to a lost and dying world. He writes about the burden of election. How you and I ought to be burdened for lost people around us. Yes, we're, you know, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're part of the elect because you received Christ, but we need to be burdened because there are others that have not. He, he writes about the blessings and the, the, the tragedy that, that, that Israel did was this. Israel kind of wound up taking all the blessings and, and all the privileges and they rejected their responsibility. And if we're not careful, we as believers can do the same thing. We can bask in all the blessings, but we've got a responsibility to serve Him in this world. Last thing I want you to see this morning is the basis of election. The basis of election. I told you that Paul in these verses this morning is describing God's sovereignty. And in order to really understand something called election, as I said earlier, you've got to understand God's a sovereign God and, and He is in control. So in these last verses, verse 6 through 13, what Paul is writing about is, is God's promise and God's purpose. God sovereignly made promises. God sovereignly has a purpose. God's election, God choosing someone, is based upon His own promise instead of something like physical heritage. Look what I said in verse 6 and 9, through 6 and 9. It's not as though the Word of God has failed. Uh, not... For, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring physically. That's what he's talking about. But through Isaac, he says, shall your offspring be named. You see, Abraham also had another son by the name of Ishmael. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year I'll return and Sarah will have a son. The thing that he's raising here when he talks about it's not as though the Word of God has failed. Uh, some translations say taken none effect. Uh, in, the, in the original Greek, that word was used to give a picture of a, of a ship going off its course or even being shipwrecked. So, so Paul's kind of raising this question. Well, you know, because God chose Israel... But then not all Israel has believed. Is there a problem with the Word of God? Is the Word of God shipwrecked in some way? And the answer is no. The Word of God is not shipwrecked. The problem was not with the Word of God. The problem was with Israel and their lack of belief. The problem was not with the Bible being wrong or God not knowing what He's talking about. God's Word is not off course. God's Word is not shipwrecked. It was Israel that was the issue. Now, to... to to kind of 
say a little bit more about that. Does, does Israel's failure mean that God's Word has failed? And the answer to that is, is no. And because here's the deal, you see. God is faithful and sovereign no matter what men do or say about His Word. Now, you ought to be very thankful for that because that means God keeps His end of the deal even when we fail at our end of the deal. And before you sit there and look all pious and holy to me, I'll be honest with you, on my other side of receiving Christ as my Savior, there's been a lot of times I've not kept up my end of the deal. I'm so thankful He keeps His end of the deal. Amen. I'm so thankful it's based upon His promise. It's not based upon who I am. To, to give the illustration that he uses for that is, is this. I mentioned Ishmael just a moment ago. Uh, next, next slide. <clears throat> if you remember the story, God had promised Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. But they're really old now, he and his wife Sarah, so it's like, well, maybe God meant this. So Sarah comes to Abraham and, and he says, and she says to Abraham, why don't you go into my handmaid Hagar, my servant Hagar? And she can conceive the child. And that way, the promise of God is fulfilled. But you see, the problem with that is, that's not the promise of God being fulfilled. That was Abraham and Sarah and Hagar taking things into their own hands. So instead of it being based upon God's promise, it represents the work of the flesh. And God did not receive Ishmael. God did not choose Ishmael, even though Ishmael was the firstborn. And by their culture, that's who should have been chosen. But instead, God sovereignly chose Isaac. And He had already said in advance of Isaac being born that He's the one that the promise is going to be given to. In other words, He's the one I'm sending my son through. He's the one the Messiah will be born through. He's the one that I'm choosing as the, as the bloodline. Not Esau. It was simply God's sovereign choice. Now, you might be wondering, how in the world does that apply to us today? Well, I told you it's based upon God's promise and not our physical heritage. Because by physical heritage, since Ishmael was the first one born, he should have been the son of blessing, but he wasn't because God had already said in advance, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. And he wasn't talking about Ishmael. He was talking about her having Isaac. And he's going to be the son of promise. So how does that apply to us? Well, God's sovereignty, God's sovereign election is based upon His own choice, His own promise. It is not based upon physical heritage. Ishmael would have been the one claiming physical heritage. So let me bring it down for us today. What does it maybe mean for some of us in a practical way? That means God did not and will not choose you because of your physical heritage. Your salvation will not be based upon who you are, who your family is, what your dad has done, what your mom has done, who your grandparents were. God sovereignly saves us through His promise. God sovereignly extends a call to salvation 
and promises us salvation through Jesus Christ, His ultimate Son of promise. Some of you still not getting it. Let me, let me explain to you. <laughs> Just because your daddy's a preacher don't mean you're going to heaven. Just because your grandma used to lead the ladies' prayer group don't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you were brought to church all the time as a little kid don't mean you're going to heaven. I don't care if your bloodline goes through Billy Graham and Dwight L. Moody and you can claim kin to all of them, you're not going to heaven just because of your physical heritage. The only way anyone goes to heaven is because God sovereignly chooses us with His promise. That makes sense. Second thing you, you need to get in this before we uh, close out on this last point. He's telling us about the basis of, of God's sovereignty uh, and the basis of God's, uh, God's election. God, God's election is also not based upon the, the promise, but it's not based upon the, it's, it's based upon God's purpose rather instead of personal performance. Look, look at verses 10 through 13. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. See, right there is the son of promise. The one that God had chosen. So now he's married to Rebecca, and she's going to have twin boys. And he said, it, and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, in other words, not because they were good or bad, but because of God's call. She was told this by God, the older will serve the younger. Esau is going to wind up having to serve Jacob. And it's talking nationally also, them as peoples, the Edomites and, and, and the Israelites. The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob... I've loved, but Esau, I've, I've hated. God has a purpose. God has a plan. He's not flying by the seat of his pants. We, we saw this word a couple of weeks ago. The, the word purpose means a setting forth or an intention, but it was also used to talk about the, the showbread being laid on the, the table uh, there in the tabernacle or there in, there in the temple. And God could clearly see that she bread was there. Well, as clearly as God could see bread on the table, God sees his perfect plan from the beginning to the end. Salvation is based upon God's sovereign calling, His sovereign purpose, His sovereign plan. It's not based upon our performance in us trying to earn our way. God did not choose Jacob because Jacob was all good. If you remember the story, as Esau was being born, Jacob's holding on to the hill trying to pull him back in so he can be first. And Jacob lied and schemed his way all through life until he had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. He did not choose Jacob because he was so good. He, he did not choose Jacob and say, well, Jacob's a good little Jacob. And he didn't reject Esau because he said Esau's a hell-raising Esau. At the time God made His sovereign choice, neither of them had been born. 
God sovereignly chose them before they could do good or bad, either one, because they were still where? (laughs) In the womb, not even born yet. And even before that, before they were ever conceived, God in His plan and His purpose, God has sovereignly chose them, not based upon their performance. I guess I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad God's not basing my salvation upon my performance. Aren't you? I'm glad God sovereignly looked down through time and chose a people called the nation of Israel and sent His Son through that people, the nation of Israel, to come into this world to be the Messiah, to die on the cross for my sins. God foreknew me. He saw me in the future. He knows who will be saved and who won't be saved. You see, God choosing Jacob and rejecting Esau does not mean that God condemned Esau to hell. It doesn't mean that God never allowed Esau to worship him. What it means is this. God was saying, I'm choosing Jacob to lead the bloodline. I'm making a sovereign choice that Jacob is going to be the father of Israel. That's the choice that he was making. And in a similar way, God looks down through time before you and I were ever born. And God saw you and God saw me. And God knows whether or not we'll receive Christ as our Savior. And God sovereignly chose us in Christ, knowing in advance who would be saved and who would not be saved because He's a sovereign, all-knowing God. And it's not based upon who we are, our physical heritage. It's not based upon what we do, our performance. It's based upon God's promise and God's purpose or God's plan. Our problem with that is this. Come back to what I said to begin with. People wrestle with somebody else being in control. We wrestle with this idea that God is an all-powerful, all-knowing God, and He is totally in control. And the truth of the matter is this, guys. I would rather have a God that I can't fully figure out, a God that I can't fully explain, a God that is grander and bigger than I imagine, than my imagination or my ability to try and explain or understand Him. I'd rather have a God that's sovereign and that big that I simply trust. You see, in our human nature, we don't like that. Some of you are still pushing back. Well, I don't know. I, I want to be able to figure God out completely before I make a commitment. All right? Let me explain the foolishness of that. You cannot even fully figure out your husband or your wife. Amen. You dated a while and you thought you had it figured out and understood what they were like and everything like that. And then you get married and you start living together and kind of all of a sudden there's some new revelations like, hmm, I didn't know that. I didn't know they'd act like that. I didn't know they'd say that. I didn't know they'd be like that. I didn't know they'd leave that kind of mess on the floor. But you made a commitment to them. And you love them. Even though you can't totally figure them out. 
I can't totally figure God out. I don't have the ability this morning. I wish I did. God, I, guys, I, I wish God could somehow open my mouth and I could say just enough words for you to be able to figure it all out and let's have a complete total picture of who He is. But I'm glad it doesn't work like that. I'm glad God is so great and so grand and so big that, that because that's the kind of God I want. I wouldn't want a God I could figure out completely with you. And whether you like some of it sometimes or not, what makes your marriage interesting sometimes is you can't completely figure it out. You know? And in terms of God, I'd rather have a God so great, I just can't figure it all out. But because I know He loves me, and He proved it by sending His Son, and He's a sovereign God, I can trust Him to do what's right. Let's pray. God, I want to thank You to begin with today, that time. Lord, that You put together a people called Israel. and You saw fit to sovereignly choose them to be Your people and call them to Yourself. And Father, I thank You that through the nation of Israel, You sent Your Son in the flesh to be our Savior, to be our perfect sacrifice. And that through Him, we can have everlasting life. Him and Him alone. God, we can't figure that all out. But God, we believe it because we know You love us. God, I, I, I want to stop and just thank You that You're so grand and so great and so huge and so big and so wonderful. We can't figure you out, but we can trust you. Father, for those who here that know Christ as their Savior, right now, God, maybe during this decision time as we sing a song, and Lord, maybe just help them to worship, open their mouths and sing and worship because of your sovereignty. But Lord, if there's anyone here among us this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, God, maybe they've been trying to just be logical and trying to figure it all out. God, help them right now to understand they'll never do that. You're too big. You're too crammed. We'll never figure you out. We'll never put you in our box. But we can trust you. The Father, I pray if there's someone here today that needs faith, help them to see it's not based upon who they are. It's not based upon their performance. It's your sovereign choice. You want to sovereignly choose them and offer them grace and mercy and salvation. Father, we pray that you give us a, a Paul-sized burden for the lost around us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.